I don't need someone to tell me I'm heartbroken. Yeah, I'm heartbroken. This is like if you read, if someone else made a Facebook post about your breakup. It's like, well, yeah, I don't want to see that. You'd be dumb to just sit there. Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve. That's Focus Podcast about UJ football. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. And today we're going to talk about this past weekend's game. Do you kind of want to lay things out for folks, Nathan, and tell them kind of uh, what to expect from this one? Yes. Um, <laughs> sorry. So, yeah, <laughs> what we're going to do today is, you know, in rever- usually we start with our um, more experiential stuff and our more subjective stuff. Uh, but I think it's kind of good. You know, because obviously we all have a lot of emotions about this game. I think it's going to be good for us to actually start with the cold hard stats, uh, talk about what we saw at the game, and then kind of go into where we are and our feelings, how how we're feeling, and just sort of talk it out like that. And then, of course, we'll get your questions at the end there. I'll be honest. Um, I don't know. It's still I'm still sort of processing this game, so I'm not expecting this to be like a you know hour and a half long episode. But um, I do think that we have, we have some things to say about it and some kind of myths to dispel, probably. Yeah, most definitely. There's, there's of course, always narratives floating around, and there's, there's plenty of that that we can talk about regarding all of this. Uh, and yeah. we'll kind of try to, like you said, dispel all that through cold hard stats. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it'll be a good thing to kind of go through the numbers before getting into all of our experiences, because I'm sure there's plenty of things we can both say. Um, I'm sure that uh, you and I are both capable, as we both know, of sharing hot takes. <laughs> and so it'll be good to kind of get the numbers, the, the numbers moving through our brains first, I think, just to kind of warm us up in that realm. But uh, before we do get too far into it, we will say this episode is still sponsored by GoMed, those same guys that are bringing back the house call. It's Urgent Care on the go, that mobile Urgent Care folks. From our good friends at GoMed, go check them out at GoMed.net. It's numbers time. Yeah, let's go over it. So, um, five factors box score for this game. Uh, of course, the four final score was Alabama 35, UGA 28. Win percentage, 27% for your UGA, uh, 72% for um, Alabama. That's the post-game win expectancy percentage. Uh, drives, 13 for Georgia, 12 for Alabama. Uh, play, 79 for Georgia, 63 for Alabama. Yards, 454 for Georgia, 403 for Alabama. Yards per play, 5.74 for Georgia, 6.4 for Alabama. Scoring opportunity, 6 for Georgia, 7 for Alabama. Points per scoring opportunity, 4.67 for Georgia, 5 for Alabama. Average field position was the 27 for Georgia and the 29 for Alabama. Yards per, let's see, none of the other margins really matter. Success Um, rate was in there too. Oh yeah, success rate, 44.3% for Georgia, 41.3% for Alabama. Um, Expected turnover margin was point. 05 positive for Georgia and point negative 05 ne- uh, negative for Georgia. Of course, we had two turn or we ha- we got two turnovers from them. They got negative two turnovers, which means we, we we got about two two points of turnovers luck off of them. Um, in terms of other sort of just random stats from the stats profiles, sort of random other stats from the stats profiles here. Adjusted scoring margin on this game was negative 5.7. So it's a seven point game. It should have been about a six point game. Doesn't, you know, that's about right on. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had a 91% uh, percentile performance with an 85% offensive performance and a 23% defensive performance. Um, Yeah. So 
that's about it on the five factors. Uh, is there anything else? Let's see. S&P Plus, uh, we're at 11.2 now. We have 11 second order wins, 11.1 second order wins, right on the money on S&P Plus. 98.4% S&P Plus uh, percentile. We're about 25.9 points better than the average team. We are third overall. We have the third ranked offense in the 16th ranked defense mm-hmm. and the 27th ranked special teams. Last week we were third and we're still third. I don't really see anything else from this game. Is there anything else you'd like to point out? From those two pieces you just shared, uh, not not really. doesn't really tell us much about anything we didn't already know. In terms of the advanced box score, a couple of things I thought stood out when I pulled it up. Alabama um, had 4.49 or had 6.59 yards per carry to uh, Georgia's 4.49 in the running game. Uh, line yards per carry, we actually outdid them at 2.77 to their 2.47. However, their success rate was much higher at 48%. They had an opportunity rate of 44%, which was a little bit lower than ours. And then I think one of the key stats in the game was the highlight yards per opportunity. They had 9.28 and we had 3.73. So we, we had a very good, very workmanlike, I mean, just by pretty about pretty much any standard excellent day running the ball, but they were just very explosive, uh, while running the ball. Um, Let's see. Jake Fromm had a great day. 25 for 39, 301 yards, 64% completion rating, two sacks, uh, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Um, But I did also think it was interesting that, like, you know, they had several – they had one wide receiver in particular that just sort of tore us apart. Jalen Waddell had seven targets for four catches and 113 yards. He only had a 57% catch rate and a 57% success rate, which is very good. But he had 28 three-points yards per catch and 16.1 yards per uh, target couple of other things i thought were interesting success rate by quarter uh georgia's was 44 48 50 and 35 in quarter four and alabama's was 33 50 44 and 42 uh in quarter four uh success rate by broken down by play uh, alabama had 48 percent on rushing um plays 36 percent on passing plays 41 percent on standard downs 41 percent on passing downs georgia 35 percent on rushing plays 52 percent on passing plays 47 percent on standard downs and 39% on passing downs for the game. Of course, Georgia had a 40, had the three point success rate margin advantage at 44 to 41%. Chiefly, I think fueled by Alabama's poor passing day. Um, ISO PPP plus was really a place where Alabama got a lot of margin on Georgia. Uh, our 1.33 pass or rushing 1.68 passing 1.56 standard down 1.40 passing downs 1.50 for the game versus Georgia's 111 which was actually well under the national average um, Georgia only had a better explosiveness rate on passing downs than uh, Alabama that's I mean and that's especially true on standard downs we had a 0. 0.87 expo- uh, explosiveness rate the the uh, average uh, isoppp and standard downs is 1.07. And, you know, 0.89 on rushing downs. The average is 0.92. So just, I mean, I think I'm going to turn this into an observation. So there's just a lot of things I want to throw out there. And I think my main takeaway from this is that, you know, there's a lot of underlying stats that point to this being, I mean, this is a pretty consistent game. I kind of thought leaving the, the stadium that this was going to be a game where we had a much higher win percentage. But, you know, if you take these stats, this is a game that Alabama should have won. It's very true. Like uh, that was the the same exact thought I had uh, immediately following the game, especially since we we led Alabama until two minutes left in the game. But then you go back and you actually look at even the pieces that we broke down prior to the game, and we kind of said like you know that the biggest piece that Alabama needs to defend if they want to win was making sure that they defend against explosiveness really well, because they were just very very average in, in that regard. And as it turns out, the game we brought was below average when it came to explosiveness, right? Especially especially compared to our 
was interesting. I mean, I think a lot of this had to do, I mean, for, for, throughout the year, we've been one of the best teams in the nation at defending the explosiveness. But I think, I mean, and this is going to be a theme for me during this episode, there are reasons for this, and they don't have to be reasons that cause existential dread. And just, I mean, Alabama has very, very good, very tall wide receivers. And yep. our our cornerbacks, uh, other than DeAndre Baker, are either A, short, or B, inexperienced. It, it, there are reasons for this that are not that don't have anything to do with any any in-game decision. Yeah, I mean it, it makes sense. I, I get what you're saying, and just like we said before, I mean Jake Fromm is is exponentially better on third down than he is on any other down. It seems, and that shows in the pass downs breakdown with that 1.64 on pass downs. Um, and you look at our passing; our passing is substantially better than our uh, our, our rushing in standard downs and in pass downs. So. It just kind of, I guess what it comes down to is their offensive line or their defensive line, excuse me, was just huge. And they kept wearing down our running backs and we kept on trying to just dink and dunk our way down the field and it didn't work out. And so it came down to Jake Fromm having an outstanding day, which he did. He had a very, very good day, Uh, but but we just couldn't put all of the pieces together, I guess. And it it seemed like, and this is something I heard a lot from the players afterwards is like, they they all said, you know, we we came out to win. We wanted to, to be aggressive. And that's why we did. We made certain calls and, and trusted certain plays that we ended up running. Uh, that a lot of people have questioned, uh, but that that really doesn't necessarily show that they're as aggressive as they they wanted to be. Is is all I'm trying to say. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. The, the numbers you. don't necessarily reflect that sentiment, unfortunately. I mean, I think, I guess my biggest thing, my biggest takeaway from all of this is just that you can't go in. I mean, we can wait on takeaways, but. Ultimately, you can basically, in my opinion, you can either, you can choose two. I thought um, that, or you can choose one of the two. You can either say that, you know, UGA uh, choked away into the big game and we're cursed and we'll never, we'll never win against Alabama and it's only going to get worse, uh, which is, I guess, you know, in a vacuum, a funny take. It's, it's not really consistent with what the numbers say. So you can either, you know, be a fan of this podcast and believe the numbers or you can't, but ultimately you can't choose to do both. Yeah, doesn't go both ways, unfortunately. Uh, one more thing I will I will point out is, is something we didn't actually share was the percentile performance for this game. The percentile performance overall was ninety one percent for UGA, eighty five percent on offense, and twenty three on defense. Took me a while to try to figure out why that's the case, and I think it just comes down to the huge explosive plays that they were able to pull out on us, uh, specifically Jalen Waddle. Um, Specifically, how Jalen Hurts had uh, just a very efficient time by the end of the uh, end of the game. That that just the the few minutes he was in comparatively, and that just that it sucks that that is the number that ends up showing by the end of it because none of this time, uh, none of this game was played in garbage time. You know, none of this game was was played with them well ahead. It, it came away in the last few minutes. And while we do definitely trust numbers and we love numbers. I think there might be some sort of margin of error in that percentage specifically. <laughs> I mean, I think the 23% has a lot to do with just the fact that we just gave, I mean, when you give up the explosively rate, the explosiveness rate that we did, it's just going to murder you. And that's always yep. what it's going to be. Because keep in mind, that's, that is like where you are based on your average performance. So yeah, certainly that was not a 23% in the raw number or uh, performance for, for like any team in the country. It was the best uh, defense have done against Alabama all year. However, if you, I, I think that we can agree, though, that it was about 23% as d- good as we could have done in some ways. My, my actual pure observations, I just sat down and as a way to kind of like 
calm my my crazy nerves i just wrote down everything i saw like a live tweet i didn't actually tweet it because they wouldn't have been coherent by any means <laughs> but uh just a, a few of my, my favorite observations right here. And, and we can wait to go through this if, if you have anything more you'd like no, to I've share got, about I've stats. No, I've got it all. You, you hit me with your observations. I'm, I'm going to actually try and pick out some some useful observations real quick. And let's do it like this. Because what I ended up doing is is I have a few negative pieces in here. Things that I was upset about. Things I was disappointed in. But most of this is like, yeah, yeah. And so maybe this can be a moment of a, for us to like go back through the positives. Like a highlight reel or like a, a postmortem. You know, you kind of see at the Academy Awards and you see all like the the, the, the actors that passed away over the year. <laughs> so let's just go through some some observations real quick and kind of talk about what was good. So the very first thing I wrote down here was Richard LeCount with his first interception of the season to start the game. And uh, I, I looked around and I kind of knew that this was going to be a fun game, first of all, because the game was it, it was awesome. Like up to that point, even it was fantastic right there on that first drive to uh, throw that interception. And I looked around at my whole family and everyone was like, throwing things and out of their seats and ariana had balloons like uh like cheerleader pom-poms it was fantastic um and then tua went to the tent and then tua went to the tent again and it kept going and it kept going and tua was in the tent a lot uh one thing i did think was pretty gross was uh cbs coverage was like well we were able to get a peek into the tent and kind of see what was going on i was like dear god (laughs) it just yeah that's kind of gross gross. yeah uh, but but the the result of all that is that he is having, uh, from what I understand, he's having arthroscopic surgery, and uh, he'll be able to recover in two weeks and be in the semifinals pretty soon. So we can yeah, pl- probably expect it. him to be there. That's what they say. But then again, Jalen Hurts might just have to to you know pull this team through and get him to the end. I did write down that Riley Ridley is making Bama's corners look childish, and he kept on dancing around them. It was awesome. Riley Ridley is uh, a man, and I'm really excited to watch him play. Um, next year, uh, the Fromm and Nicole Hardman love connection is real, and I wrote down that it is a better love story than Twilight. And then the the very yeah, next but a play lot of was, things are. yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of better love stories than Twilight. Um, then the the following play was Jake Fromm to Nauda, and I, I made a note that he was Jacob. And then Gary Danielson said something. He said something that I actually agreed with, and it made me feel very conflicted and funny inside. But he said. Two has been chucking reckless prayer balls all season and has had an A-plus line to buy him time and A-plus receivers to make something out of it. He's crazy talented, but he's also reckless. I agree. Yeah, it's all true. And uh, it made me feel funny things. Thank you, Gary Danielson. Skipping a bunch of other things, because at this point I had had uh, enough beers, the J.R. Reed reaction gif. Uh, that will be my reaction gif for like everything for the rest of my life. So there's, there's two specific plays that I want to talk about. There are two specific moments in the game that everybody's talking about also. And we can, let, let's talk about these two things. So the, they, they are tied together in my mind and I'll tell you why, but the end of the first quarter or the end of the first half, excuse me. Um, and the decision to run the clock out with three timeouts and still then, on the clock with a minute left. And then throw it mm-hmm. and then have to punt. Yeah. And then there's also, of course, the fake punt. And I, I think these are two, two, these two plays are definitely tied together. But what, where, where are you on these two moments and, and how do you feel about it? I mean, uh, you know, the fake punt was the wrong call. I don't think it's as stupid as people think it is. Mm-hmm. Right after it happened, people were like, that's the worst call in the history of college football, which, I mean, that's very unlikely that that's true. So shut the f- up. It, that's just statistically unlikely to be true. 
and then on top of that, I mean, I think it's there. There was some defense of it. If you listened, uh, there was more explanation about how like Georgia had run the same fake punt against against Alabama in the 2012 SEC championship when um, what's his face was the defensive coordinator. Smart was the defensive coordinator there, and mm-hmm. how it had worked because that's how Alabama does punt safe. And if you watch the play, um, Swift actually does get open on the play and then gets covered right at the snap. It was the wrong call, but it wasn't the wrong play design and i think it was the wrong call for the flow of the game if i remember correctly in that 2012 game that was that was a well-timed fake punt because nobody thought it was going to happen and i think there were actually a couple of other times where uh we had punted in that that and you know we punted the two times before had we faked the punt for that i would have been happy or just gone for it on fourth i think would have been great we had a couple of fourth and shorts but you know i understand it i also understand that sort of the unspoken thing is that you know, DeAndre Walker was hurt at this point in the game, and uh, nobody's gonna, nobody wants to say this. I mean, I don't want to say it either, but um, you know, the guys that we put in after DeAndre Walker, Brandon Cox in particular, were just sort of getting shredded by Jalen Hurts on the run, and they just couldn't keep contained with him. And so, I think that has something to do with it as well. I, I'm not defending the call in the sense that, like, I'm not trying to tell you that like it was a great decision and we should all be thankful, blah blah blah. But I do think that you know, acting. Uh, hyperbole when you're talking about like a value judgment about a decision is almost never warranted and that's just statistical because if you rank all decisions some you know most of them are not going to be the worst decisions um i would say it was definitely a negative decision but i would say that if georgia scores you know at all in that fourth quarter then we're not having this conversation because we probably win the game if georgia you know goes for seven instead of three Oh, on fourth and one, uh, we, we might be not having be having this conversation. It, I understand and I sympathize with the fact. I mean, I was there that it's heartbreaking and it feels like it's all of a piece with like quote unquote who Georgia is. But I think you know that has a lot more to do with an existential rant that I want to get into. If you just want to talk, look at it in a vacuum. It was it was a bad decision, but it wasn't the reason Georgia lost the game. We lost the game because we kept giving up explosive plays and we couldn't stop their offense after Jalen Hurts came in. And, you know, maybe that has something to do with our lack of preparedness or with, you know, the personnel or injuries or whatever. But it just, and even though I think that Smart does have some things to work on as a in-game manager, it, I don't think it's defensible to say, to try to, don't, let's not turn this into more than it is. You know what I mean? It's a big thing. But we have this tendency where we want to like hyperbolize everything, where we, we like extremes. And so it's not fun to be like, well, it was bad, but it wasn't that bad because that's boring. That's a boring take. It's barely a take at all. But I, the take I do have for you is that it, it's, it's not that I'm saying it's not as bad as it seems. I'm just saying, like, let's put it in perspective in terms of like what it means for this season and for this team going forward. Because I don't think it means, and I get a little pissy with people that do think this, even though I mm-hmm. understand why that emotion is there. I don't think this means that there's some bigger problem with Kirby Smart. And if you want to fire Kirby Smart, like right now, like you should get the f*** out because you're not going to enjoy <laughs> the rest of this f***ing podcast. And f*** you too, by the way. F*** you. To tie those two together, like I was going to say, uh, and I appreciate your your very small rant there. That was that was contained yet still fueled emotionally. But th- those two plays that I was um, that I had shared with you, the punt and the end of the first quarter, uh, first half. I think a lot of people are tying those together and saying like. The fact that Kirby Smart, excuse me, the fact that Kirby Smart said, uh, and a few other players said, like, they were asked why they did the fake punt. And they said, we want to play aggressively. This is who we are. This is what we're going to be from now on. Like, this is how we want to play. And a lot of people are saying, well, if that's how you want to play, then why did the second, the first half end the way that it did? But what I'm here to say is, is the team that did that fake punt, that Georgia team, 
that is who you want to be at the wheel in the future because that's a team that takes risks. I don't want to go back in time and be conservative and do what's safe and just, you know, run the clock down and have time clock management to the point to where it's also it, it it's honestly detrimental for us to have the ball on offense. Cuz that is definitely how it felt sometimes when, you know, like Mark Richt was our coach for a while there, especially towards the end. And these days, you know, we would be having a completely different conversation, just like you said, if that fake punt had worked, because that's exactly how it was designed to, to work. It They did exactly what they were supposed to do. The only catch was that, you know, Swift got picked up right there in the end. Alabama saw right by the end, and they were able to call an audible. And it just happens. You know, stuff like that happens. It's a very well-designed play. And uh, that's the kind of stuff we want them to be doing going forward. We want them to be aggressive. We want them to take chances because that's how you win games, especially at that point in the game when, you know, your your defense has been on so much because your offense is playing so well and your defense is tired. The defense had just come off a seven minute drive against Alabama previously. And at that point, Georgia was like, we got to do something or they're going to run all over us. And 50 yards won't matter to 80 yards. Yeah, I mean, I it, it was the wrong decision, but also, you know, I mean, was it, yeah, it okay first off anytime you're talking about decision making it's hard to prove counterfactual yeah, yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah. but I, I i do think that we can objectively say that in hindsight it would have been better to pin them deep there even mm-hmm. and just like you know take more chances at getting a stop but yeah i think you're right i think you want aggressiveness but uh just choosing the amount of risk associated with each moment of aggressiveness i think is something that kirby smart needs to work on which i think is kind of Tying back into the sort of like second level meta analysis thing that we talked about a couple of podcasts ago, where it's like the problem is not the the preparation or the process; it's the inside thoughts about how the preparation and the process should be improving going forward. And so, I think there's definitely some room to work on. But I, I agree; I think you want to be aggressive. You have to be aggressive, but you just have to do it at the right spot. Which means you know, don't go for a field goal on that fourth and two. Just no, exactly. Just try it, right? And you know, it, it's the thing is. Honestly, it it ended up having no impact on the game, but you don't know mm-hmm. if Rodrigo is going to miss it at that point. But at the same time, even if he makes it, it it wouldn't have mattered ultimately in the game. No. And and holding it and getting that field position or getting a having good field position for them is I think probably slight, worth slightly fewer points than, you know, trying to just hold the ball for more time because that's what we were trying to do. Yeah. That's exactly what was trying to go on. And I will furthermore maybe kind of challenge your your point about um it was the wrong call. I don't think it was the wrong call to make that call. I think it was the wrong call to not take a timeout. Yeah, not take a timeout. I think that Justin Fields needs to go back and go back over that and understand why it happened and what he should have done in that moment. Because I don't think making that, like calling that play was wrong. I think snapping the ball in that moment yeah. was wrong. He should have noticed the audible and he should have noticed the movement into defense. Well, and, and, al- and, and also like, if you if the ball snaps and it's not there, don't hold it. Throw don't it. hold it. Throw you're it. Punting yeah. it. You're punting it anyway. They're they're very well coached, so they probably will just let it drop. But even if they don't, you 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 got a shot, right? I mean, because if yeah. they intercept it at that point, then you've just punted it. He's got a 70 yard arm. It doesn't matter. Just throw it the f- up, and and don't take. I mean, he he ended up like gaining a yard. It didn't, but it didn't matter, right? Yep. I, I that, yards, that was yeah. my frustration. Just arm punt it if you have to in that moment. And if the guy's not open, and I think it looked like that right at the end of the play that Terry Godwin was coming open. Throw it up there. You know, I, I, I'm I'm not frustrated at Justin Fields because that was a lack of preparedness on Jim Chaney's part and on our mm-hmm. part. Not our part. I didn't I didn't coach those kids. Uh, but that was a lack of preparedness <laughs> on in the, in the coaching staff, I think, to not just say, and maybe they did say this and this was just a mistake he made in the moment, but at some point you just have to throw the ball up. 
uh, yep. because that was the worst thing that could have happened. Yep. Like exactly. a, a, an incompletion uh, that got you the ball back right there. At least you had a shot, you know, big takeaways. Uh, yeah. So why don't you do use first? Cause mine's going to be quite the rant. Coming out after this game, I was anxiously awaiting the numbers and I wanted to see these numbers and, and make them have them make me feel better. They didn't. The numbers didn't make me feel better. <laughs> they didn't make me feel worse, but they didn't make me feel better either. I was hoping to, to kind of pour through this and say like, oh, the numbers, you know, prove Georgia had a lot more going on or Georgia made the right decisions and they, you know, Georgia did this and that. And, and while that is true, that is definitely true. They weren't the better team this day. And it shows in the numbers and it doesn't show through the eye test necessarily because we watched Georgia just run all over Alabama for about 50 minutes. That felt good. That was an awesome time. And I enjoyed that experience. Coming out of this after, you know, digesting the numbers and kind of looking over everything, the one thing that did make me feel better is truly looking to the future. And I don't mean in the way that we have in the past where we said, well, better luck next year, you know, to, you know, another rebuilding year, I guess. It's more like we have more than 60% of these players coming back and they have something to play for and they all have something to play for. You know, th- this year was truly a rebuilding year and that is where I find hope, is that this is what our rebuilding year looked like. We went to the SEC championship game. We had 11 wins on the season with just two losses, with one of them going to the best team in the nation, and arguably one of the best iterations of that team we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And there's a good chance that they might win the national championship again. And that's mm-hmm. fine. And and I'm also tired of Alabama winning all this, but at the same time, it just keeps sharpening our sword. You know, iron sharpens iron. And at the end of the day, we're just going to keep getting better and we're going to keep getting better because we're playing the best. And that's the only way you can keep up with the best is continue to do your best and continue to sharpen that sword. You know, last year coming into this year, I, I, I didn't know what the future looked like for this team. It looked good. But we didn't know how good. We definitely didn't expect it to be this good. And here we are. Here we are not feeling so bad about what just happened. Well, I mean, we are not feeling so bad, but I don't think that other people are not feeling so bad. Yeah, I'd like to speak for the fan base, but I I can't. I can speak for us. I I don't feel so bad. I don't feel as bad this year as I did last year. I can say that wholeheartedly. And uh, I I have a very, very good feeling about what is to come. And we'll we'll see a lot more in the next few weeks regarding signing and everything and what we're doing on the recruiting side of the ball. But uh, I'm just proud of this year. I'm proud for a lot of reasons. And I'm I'm just Mm -hmm. proud for what we've talked about and what we've learned. And I I hope that the people listening to this show are also just as proud. Yeah, that's kind of my takeaway. Yeah, I mean, and that I think that before I go into this, that is important for me to also say is that I think it's um, it's really important to acknowledge how much this team has done and how the fact that we're going to the Sugar Bowl as a consolation prize uh, is a real seismic shift from where we were even two or three years ago, or during the Mark Rick era, where the you know the consolation prize was the Outback Bowl. So I think that's worth acknowledging. I think it's also worth pointing out at least that, you know, this is probably the worst the team's going to be in the next two or three years. Uh, you know, 63% of the scholarship players that play or that were on the team on Saturday were underclassmen. And certainly, um, you know, that number goes down a little bit if you have four or five guys go to the NFL, which it looks like that's going to happen. Uh, but still, I think, you know, the core of this team is here. And we're going to have above 50% of the players are going to come back next year and these freshmen sophomores are going to be sophomores and juniors and they're just going to get better and a lot of them had very meaningful steps already today you know to the state so that that's also worth noting but my big takeaway is this i, I i'm not understating people's uh, emotions I, I don't want to undersell the importance of emotion in this game and i'm a numbers guy but you know uh that doesn't mean that i don't understand why emotions are sort of the core of the of the college football experience i i t- 
certainly do. And it's something that I experience and love too as a non-robot. But I think that you have to, if you're going to make pronouncements about the future of a program, the future of a coach, the future of someone's job, you need to like take your emotions out of it because that's not helpful. Um, and yeah, a bit easier said than done. And a lot of times, frequently, more often than not, that's not what happens. But if you want to be the better kind of sports fan, a better sports fan, which I mean, I do. And I think most people who listen to this podcast, that's part of why they listen to the podcast. Is they want to be a better sports fan, a more informed sports fan. Then you have to let yourself in this moment, feel what you need to feel. You have to get it out and get angry and be sad and, you know, do whatever you need to do. But ultimately, if you start making pronouncements about, you know, who Kirby is or who this team is, or it just feels like destiny, stop, just don't do that. And here's, here's the thing I have to say. Uh, I don't, really care to talk about you know anyone's metaphysical beliefs on this podcast uh or am interested in really discussing mine but i do think that something that has been a pretty consistent uh theme in this podcast is that narratives and in particular destiny narratives are bullshit there's no destiny sometimes teams are just better psychology factors into things and you have a team lose to a team but um if you think that this georgia team was afraid of alabama i don't know what the kind of game you were watching on saturday that's stupid on your part and you should be embarrassed and you should have to go back and rewatch that game because don't give me this thing about like oh well it's just we're never going to get over the hump we're never going to be- beat bama i don't know we might not dude but that doesn't have anything to do with it right like there was a time while i was a georgia fan which has not been that long there's been a time there have been times in the past 15 years where all people could talk about was how we would never beat florida that feels kind of far away right now Everything changes. This is what I said several times on Saturday night, right? I, I genuinely hope, and I say this without sarcasm and without even though I'm a mean person, I do genuinely hope that Alabama fans are enjoying the moment that they did, that they're having. Because they were not a particularly live crowd on Saturday night. They just, they were kind of quiet. And then when they won, they got loud, but it wasn't anything compared to when Georgia was loud. And I, I genuinely hope they're holding on to things because the only real constant, it's its its fallacious and annoying to say this, but it is true, especially in college football, the only real constant is change. Things change. And the fact that Alabama has had a historic, unprecedented run of success does not mean that it's guaranteed to continue. And, and there's no sign of it slowing down. And certainly, I don't expect Nick Saban to retire at the end of the year or anytime soon. But acting like that this can't end is stupid. It, 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 it spits in the face of history. It spits in the face of the way that we know the game works. And frankly, it just makes you upset for no reason. And if you need to be upset, your feelings are valid and I want you to be upset. But if you want to turn this into some like Oedipal style tragedy about your, with, you know, this team is like the tragic hero, you should stop because this team doesn't have a tragic flaw. They just lost to a very good team. Before we came into this game, what we were saying is, you know, Alabama's probably a slightly better team than Georgia, and they're probably going to win a close game. And then that's what f-ing happened. So, like, what, what? Sure, it was painful. Sure, there were decisions that were made that probably should have been made. But, like, if you try to turn everything in a Verity opera, you'll end up living in a f-ing Verity opera. And if you listen to this podcast, you probably shouldn't want that. Like, <laughs> if you listen to this podcast, you probably want, you know, you probably have some uh, idea of thinking objectively and trying to improve your life. And let me tell you, friends, if you want to be the tragic hero, if you want to be Ophelia, you'll become Ophelia. So stop it. It's not f-ing useful. It's a pain in the ass. All right. I'm done. Hey, with that, maybe we'll cool down in halftime real quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's cool down in halftime. So 
Just like we said at the beginning of the episode, this episode is sponsored by GoMed. We have been doing a segment with GoMed for halftime where we let you get to know your doctor a little bit. And today's doctor over at GoMed is Chris Pitts. He is some sort of doctor. Whatever a PA-C is. Uh, A physician's assistant. There you go. There it is. I don't know nothing about doctors. Chris grew up in Cochrane, Georgia. He's also a Georgia boy. He attended Middle Georgia College. He then moved to the Respiratory Therapy Program at the Medical College of Georgia in Augusta, where he graduated with honors. He went over to Macon. He was there. He became a neonatal pediatric specialist. He then went back to Medical College of Georgia, where he completed his physician assistant program. There it is, that PAC. He graduated with all sorts of honors. Uh, During his career, he's worked in pulmonary critical care, cardiology, pediatrics, and spinal orthopedics. 2006, he began his work in emergency departments and has been there ever since, doing things just like this, like GOMED. I'm starting to see a theme here with all these uh, GOMED folks that they've done a whole bunch. And I don't know if that's just a doctor thing Mm -hmm. or it's like uh, these four folks at GOMED that are making this happen have just done literally everything. And so they can offer literally everything. Por que no los dos, right? Porque no los, all of it. Yeah, it's like these guys are, are doing it all. Those of you that don't know what GoMed is, though, it's urgent care to go, essentially. It's mobile urgent care. So they come to you. They go to wherever you are and make sure that you have the goods you need. They're, they're bringing back the house call, essentially, because that's where you're most comfortable. And part of this Get to Know Your Doctor segment is just letting you get to know the folks that would be taking care of you if you chose to go the route of GoMed. Because once again, you want to be where you're most comfortable. And you're most comfortable in a place where you know where you are and you know who's there. Folks like Chris Pitts make that possible. Go check out their website. You can schedule an appointment and check out what they do and even have them come out to an event or a place near you. You can have some of that track doctrine that we talked about last week. Yeah, track doctrine. That's the that fast good, good doctrine. doctrine. It's yeah, the doctrine so around. Yeah, they even do relay track doctrine now. It's thrilling. That's patient handoffs. <laughs> so yeah, go check them out. GoMed.net. Thanks for sponsoring. Yeah. Do you want to go into some prediction review? Yeah, you basically trashed me this uh, on this. Uh, I thought this would be a much heavier run game than it was. Uh, we thought Tua would do better. We thought he'd get his, but he sure didn't. Yeah, over he under sure th- didn't. over under 3.5 Tua two D- TDs combined. Both said over. We were wrong. Mm-hmm. I also said over under 0.5 Tua interceptions. I said over, and he had two on the day. Over under 250 passing yards, Jake Fromm. I said over, and he had 301. Yeah, so I, I was, what, four and two? <laughs> yeah, four and two all across. Five yeah, and two I, if you count the score. The point differential, yeah. 200 UGA rushing yards. We both said over. We were under at 153. We guessed there would be two and a half uh, hot dog. <laughs> two and a half hot rod field goals. Uh, you said under. You're correct. He misses one that he was going to There were also kick. under There were under two and a half hot dog field goals as well. There were zero. There, was, there were zero hot dog field goals today. Uh, DeAndre Baker, they, they targeted DeAndre Baker a couple times, and he did get caught on once. Yeah. Uh, but there were no interceptions by DeAndre Baker. Those came through with jr reed and lecount and so that one went given to me but that was the only one i won uh your score prediction was alabama 38 uga 31 was a six point difference mine was uh 34 42 bama 13 point difference and i will say before we get too far away from this those of you that were listening to last week's episode may have noticed that it did sound a little weird and i admitted that on twitter that there were a few segments in the show that i had to re-record because my mixer was going bad and so i have reconfigured Everything I got going on, I was getting a lot of tinniness. But yeah, that's that's kind of uh that was the, the SEC championship game, y'all. Um, other news: Mel Tucker's leaving. So yep. what up? That is definitely confirmed. Colorado th- has taken everything we love. I mean, just just one of the things. Just one. Um, of them. I don't really care for Mike Bobo. I like Mike Bobo, but oh, I the state of him. Colorado, not Col- University of Colorado. Uh, I mean, I like him, but I and I like like him, but I don't like love him. You know, 
But do you um, think that Mel Tucker will end up taking any of his assistants? I doubt it. Uh, yeah. I heard today that Del McGee is not going, and that was the one I would be concerned about. Now, I do think he might take, like, I don't know, like Kevin Shearer or something, maybe. I, even yeah. that, I kind of doubt. Maybe some grad assistants? Yeah, I mean, he'll definitely take some people, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like that the, the name that makes the most sense to me is um, to promote what I've heard and what I think and what I thought initially was that you just promote Glenn Schumann. Uh, staggeringly, Glenn Schumann is only 29, but he was—he uh, literally cut his teeth under Kirby Smart and Nick Saban at Alabama, and he was at Alabama for like four or five years. And so if I'm doing my math correctly, he would have had to have started in his early 20s at, at Alabama. And he's yep. apparently just quite the maven. Like, he was the guy, he's a prodigy. Like, he was the guy at Alabama who was, like, helping construct the defensive game plans when he was literally in his mid-20s. Um, so he's sort of an up-and-comer and a very good recruiter. So he's the one who kind of makes sense to me. He is Kirby's Kirby, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, I think you probably go and try to get a defensive backs coach from somewhere else. And I think the kind of job this is, you try to get the best one you can. I've heard all sorts of names and I have no idea and they're all just speculation. I don't know either, but mm-hmm. um, I think that either you get Glenn Schumann and you go out and you swing at someone who is one of the best recruiters in the nation. And even if you get Glenn Schumann, you still want your defensive backs coach still needs to be one of the best recruiters in the nation. Cause that's just the standard on this coaching staff. Yep. And so we'll hey, see what happens. Hey, urban Meyer retired today. Hell yeah, he did. Bye urban Meyer. Do you think he'll still coach or is he retiring for good? I think he's probably done. Yeah. I'm okay with that. And to think Urban Meyer's done and Nick Saban's still out there coaching his I, ass off. Because Urban Meyer's thing is recruiting. And it's like, how do you recruit? How do you come off of that room recruit with medical yeah. issues? I don't know. It's just real cloudy, man. Yeah. Maybe he won't be. Maybe he won't be. I mean, um, America has done nothing but a shame, make me ashamed for the past five years. So, um, <laughs> there, there are other teams out there, other programs out there that just want to win. And that's Urban Meyer's entire attitude. He doesn't care how he does it. He just wants to. So maybe. We'll get into our very, very favorite segment, Ask CBC, and we'll run through these. We have spoken through a few of these, uh, just questions from the game, but we'll, we'll kind of touch on them one more time. The very first one comes from John Pohl, Powell, excuse me, John Powell, and he says, seriously, though, I just want to see the win expectancy numbers over time on this game, and listening to Kirby explain that uh, they were trying to exploit a weakness he felt Alabama had in punt safe. Do you feel better about the call? I read that all funny. I'm sorry. I do, and I think that the win expectancy numbers, if we had the like per minute win expectancy per S and P plus, not the ESPN one, I think that it you would see that there are. I think our win expectancy went down before more than people would think before the fake punt. Yeah, the ESPN one isn't really reliable. Um, it also was sitting. If you want to have any sort of point of reference, it started to go down about. Do, 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 do. nine minutes left in the fourth it started going down from the 75 percent and it finally hit on alabama's side alabama's favor around three minutes left in the fourth and then it slowly very quickly went up from there <laughs> once again that's that's not exactly yeah apparently you didn't i mean i i started to feel better about that after i heard that but apparently you didn't feel that bad about it to begin with it which what do you mean like about the call because he uh, said I definitely felt bad about the call from the start. And I, it's something I even uh, let people see behind the curtains real quick. It's something I wrote down in our notes that I still felt bad about it. But the more I sat here in front of you and thought about it, the mm-hmm. less bad I felt. Okay, I get that. So um, I had originally said, you know, it didn't check out the fact that they were saying they wanted to be an aggressive team and they went into the first half, the, the end of the first half, the way they ended it. It was like, well, those two things don't check out. But then the more I thought about it, I was like, well, 
they had a better reason. And if I look bigger picture, it makes sense. I don't feel nearly as bad. Those of you that, that want to know exactly what Kirby said, if you haven't already seen it, he knew all of the plays that Alabama would run in their uh, punt coverage, and he knew exactly where the weaknesses were, so he designed that fake punt play to exploit those weaknesses. He knew which player on the offensive side of the ball, punting the ball, would be uncovered. In practice, that was DeAndre Swift, and Bama picked it up immediately, and uh, Field snapped the ball, and instead of throwing it anywhere, he kept it, and that was it. And I know we talked about that pretty extensively earlier, but that's that's just it piece by piece. Next question comes from, I'm going to say his name the way I like to say it now, Stephen Chiduin. Chiduin. Chiduin, Stephen. I'm sure he's never heard that one. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry, Stephen. Yeah, he's the, isn't he the Harvard grad assistant or something along those lines? Or professor? He's smarter than we are, yeah. Much smarter than we are. So here's your dad joke, Stephen. After losing a very close one to a team, some peg is the best ever in college football. How many ways can fans find to conclude that the quote-unquote sky is falling is it more or less than bama's projected number of first rounders oh it's way more it's way more <laughs> it, it they they contain multitudes steven they contain multitudes they are billions so i i will challenge you to go listen to literally any sports show right now any sports show that doesn't even have to be uga based any sports show that's talking about college football and you hear somebody question whether or not kirby smart has what they claimed he had a week ago and yeah. so there yeah, and actually, Helen, this reminds me of something. Can I can I point out something? I've been yeah. thinking about this a lot in my life about how like social media is bad for us in some ways because it gives us a reflection of who we are in our lives instead of like us just actually experiencing our lives. And so I would just say to UGA fans, if you see somebody, if you're reading something, then it starts with something like, man, UGA fans must be really heartbroken right now. You don't need that. Shit. You're a UGA fan. Just stop it. You don't need yep. it. Get off of social media. Social media is trash. God, Twitter is so bad. I hate Twitter. Twitter's the so only bad. reason I'm on Twitter is for the show. <laughs> you know that the only time I get on my personal Twitter anymore is to retweet things from the show because it just makes me so, it makes me so sad and angry. Um, I yeah, I get on mine just so I can talk to you from our show Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> basically that's the only reason that I get on it. But yeah, I mean, look, all of those pieces, the sort of premise of them, especially the national ones, is that they're being read by non-Georgia fans. So first off, we're not the target audience. I don't need someone to tell me I'm heartbroken. Yeah, I'm heartbroken. This is like if you read, if someone else made a Facebook post about your breakup. It's like, <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, shit. I don't want to see that. It'd be dumb to just sit there. Our next question comes from Alan Ayavaroni. Do you think Kirby blinks in big games? If so, where and how do you think he needs to grow as an in-game manager? Alan, I will say, Alan. Okay, Alan sent me a very nice message saying how he was excited about the pod and then we got it out late. So I'm sorry, Alan. And also, Alan... Um, I am about to rant a little, and I want you to know that this isn't at you. This is just about other people. And I, th- <laughs> I feel like you were kind of just serving the softball up to me. So, yeah. Anyway, I don't think he blinks in bed games because I think that that's sort of a narrative thing. You know what I mean? Like it, the Bob Stoops thing about Bob Stoops is bad in big games. Like when they did actual data analysis about it, they found that that wasn't true. It was just a narrative. And so, yeah, sure, you can find two examples, but none of the other games this year sounded, seemed as big because we beat the hell out of all but every, everyone but one person we played. I don't, I, I, just, I don't think... I think he needs to grow as a game manager. I think that's absolutely true. But I don't think that it's really indicative of anything except for the fact that like he, those same deficiencies exist in the small games too, but they don't matter, right? We've made some very puzzling play calls at the ends of halves this year and just in general. And, you know, I think that wouldn't shock me if we have a new offensive coordinator next year. So I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't think, I think he needs to work on it, but I don't think, I think saying he blinks in big games is just inferring too much from something that's not there. I actually went through, you know, all the gift generators and just looked for him blinking at all. 
What about the the gif of him with Rodrigo's glasses? I don't think he actually that blinks in that. No, but he might have. His eyes are just so wide. We got an email from Chris Dixon. Chris Dixon asks, do statistics suggest we should have tried to convert the fourth down on any of the three fourth and short uh, situations of the championship game? Yeah, I mean, we had him within the 47 and the 48, which is not necessarily, I think the first one was at the UGA 48 and the next one was at the Bama 47. Uh, or some, I might be getting them backwards. I mean, those aren't necessarily points where you're like, absolutely, you should go. Because I think inside of the 40 is the part where you should go on fourth and short. But I do think inside of the context of like, it's a big game and in the flow of the game, we should have, yes. Also, before I keep going, uh, while I still have our, our Gmail up i do want to say hey jacob and tim and chris dixon and john paul actually john paul we'll be getting back to you very soon don't you worry yeah uh, and jake jake's had a very 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 good email but i think it's more of an off-season email it is and we'll be getting back to you guys just as soon as possible um we have not forgotten about you just a quick reminder next question comes from abby key she wants to know what our favorite holiday movies are hmm what is my favorite holiday movie samantha uh well no you know what it's it's definitely it's definitely um love actually love actually i I was gonna say probably the same thing i mean love actually is a huge movie for us we watch it every year and uh we have a lot of inside jokes while watching love actually so i'll I'll probably say that same thing but just to be different i really you guys can kind of tell me out there how many of you out there have christmas vacation parties this is something that my my wife's family does and they've been doing it since she was very little yeah i didn't know this is a thing i don't get it i never i never watched that movie when i was young I still, no, I, mean, I still haven't seen it all the way through. Don't tell them that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't. Well, no, Ryan, Ryan, and your father-in-law listen to the cinema. I yeah. haven't. I mean, I don't. I don't know that it's necessarily a bad movie. Uh, I would say the Clark Griswold movies in general. Like, I'm not good at embarrassment humor, so they're not really like for me. It, I also think that I don't know. It's just weird. It's weird. It's just a different. I guess I, it's something I just missed. Another really big one for us is It's a Wonderful Life. We watch it on mm-hmm. Christmas Eve. Me and uh, my mother-in-law and my wife every year and it's just very uplifting and i love it i also really love jingle all the way with arnold schwarzenegger trying to get that toy i mean obviously my favorite like <laughs> overall holiday movie is die hard yeah yeah jonathan ashley actually asked about texas he wants to know what kind of let's let's just answer it generous generally what kind of challenges will be up, will we be up against facing this texas team and what do we have to look forward to next year regarding recruiting and injury recovery and will next year's team be more talented than this year's okay let's start from the back yes second um a lot we probably are going to have a top three class this year again and a very 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 good defensive tackle and a very 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 good defensive end um and those are Trayvon Walker and Nolan Smith, respectively. So yep. lots to look forward to. And, you know, I also just think that uh, Zamir White coming back, you can't understate that, the importance of that. Yeah. We're already sitting on three five stars and 12 four stars right now in recruiting. Yeah. We are ranked third currently with plenty of time left in recruiting. What kind of challenges will we be facing up against? Uh, Sam Ellinger is like a scrappy Texas quarterback. They have a pretty good kicker. His name's Dicker. That's hilarious. hey oh. Yeah, so Sam Ellinger runs all right, but I, I mean, I think the two biggest thing is the two biggest things are they have a very good defensive backfield um, that sort of got torched at the end of the year, but also has been good throughout the year. Um, they have a decent defense, uh, decent offensive line, pretty good running backs, and just a few very, very good wide receivers. Uh, Lil Jordan Humphrey, his name is actually Lil Jordan Humphrey, L I L Jordan Humphrey. I just want to emphasize how f- badass that is. Is one of the yeah, one of the one of the better wide receivers in the nation. He's just got explosive breakaway speed and he'll just kill you out of the slot. But yeah, I mean I, I this is currently an eighteen point game per S P plus. So I think we're gonna win. I think 
I think if we come to play, I think it might be close if we look lethargic and they could even win. But I think if we come to play and Nicole Hardman said, somebody's going to feel us because I'm angry about this game. And if that's how the rest of the team comes to play, yeah, we're going to win by like 25. Oh, yeah. It's going to be rough. Uh, that's all the fan questions we have. The very last segment of the day is the Dr. James Bearfield Troll Corner presented by Cheerwine, the wine that gives you diabetes, TM, TM, TM. So James Bearfield, as always, wants you to hit him with a poem that you would equate to the Alabama game and why. This is called The Second Coming. It's by William Butler Yates. <laughs> Damn, dude, this is pretty dark. Uh, <laughs> William Butler Yates, The Second Coming. Turning and turning in the widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart. The sinner cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood-dimmed tide is loosed, and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all convention, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. Surely some revelation is at hand. Surely the second coming is at hand. The second coming. Hardly are those words out when a vast image of spiritus mundi troubles my sight. A waste of desert sand. A shape with lion body and the head of a man. A gaze blank and pitiless as the sun. Is moving in slow thighs. While all about it wind shadows of the indigent uh, desert birds. The darkness drops again, but now I know. That twenty centuries of stony sleep were vexed to nightmare by a rocking cradle. And that in what rough beast in this hour has come at last, slouches towards Bethlehem to be born. Yeah, it's pretty dark. Yeah. Uh, why do you relate that? Yates wrote that uh, at the coming of World War One, And basically, he was just talking about how, you know, in Europe and World War One, people had this sense that this was something new and that this was something that was kind of irrevocably going to change the, uh, the history of the world. And a lot of them thought that it was actual real-life Judgment Day. But I think uh, Yeats, Yeats is kind of talking about here. Uh, Yeats, anyway, Yeats is, Yeats is kind of talking here about... Um, not just sort of the inevitability of the destruction of World War One and the sort of monstrous nature of this beast that has befallen Europe, but also I think about his idea that he thought that the universe was cyclical and that like the infinite gyre, the gyre, the widening gyre, uh, the gyre is another word for storm, but like also it, it, he thought that like, you know, time was this like storm that would come back around again and that like uh, humanity w- had to be ravaged occasionally. And that's when he talks about like 200 centuries of stony uh, sleep rocked to death in a cradle or whatever. Uh, that's what he's talking about. Uh, and the reason I relate that to UGA's game is because, you know, um, that's just us. That's us, man. We're just, we're, we're just like staring into the abyss. It's just sitting on the, the bright edge of darkness like a slug crawling across a knife, unable to stop moving because, you know, to move forward is to cut yourself more and to stay still is to fall in half. Also, I would just point out that the, you know, the music I'm going to send you is from The Omen and it's the DS area, which is what your Redcoat's called, Redcoat's called Choker. It's the song they play all the time on defense. And um, it, it's part of what Brett Bauckham, the one of the band directors, called after the, the, after the SEC championship. He said the... Uh, Another movement of our years-long minimalist symphony on DSRA, um, which is going to be super appropriate because we were literally providing the soundtrack to the second coming uh, during that game. 
What's our next question? Uh, our next question is, how many more years of shaky and inconsistent decisions will it take for us to get an 18 playoff? And this is actually a very technical question because the contract for what we have going on right now is a 12-year contract. It's yeah, but I think that, that there's a look-in opportunity too. So I don't, I don't think it's... 2020, yeah. yeah I think, I think it's going to be 2020. I really hope it is. It needs to expand. And if it does expand, we will most likely change uh, the way we, we see like our schedules yeah. play out as well. And so th- there could be potentially a whole lot of changes uh, being a whole lot of decisions for changes for the future being made in 2020 previous, like before 2020, the 2020 season. Yeah, is. I agree. We have that to look forward to. How long was the out of body experience you had after that Riley, uh, Riley Ridley touchdown pass? I literally just like could not like my hand. I didn't know what to do with my hands. It was pretty long. Basically until we start. I mean, it was several <laughs> minutes. Uh, was Rod missing the kick, the major momentum shift? And I have some some play-by-play for this too, but give your, your opinions real quick. I mean, I, I think it was. I think that was that changed the game forever. Mm-hmm. For, forever. Yeah, it definitely on paper also changed the game. We began to slow down after that, but it, it wasn't truly until uh, Bama tied it up with that touchdown um, later in the game. But they had our defense on that touchdown drive for 16 plays, which uh, came out to more than seven minutes. And so after that, our defense definitely slowed down, which is what inevitably ended up, uh, you know, causing us to make that fake field goal or fake uh, fake punt play. So that's, that's kind of what we were to expect. And just trying our best to keep our defense off the field was what we were doing at that point because we just couldn't get our offense started mm-hmm. again after that. Uh, there's been a lot of heat about the fake punt. What do you guys actually think the extra 30 yards would have been enough against a hot Jalen Hurts with all the momentum going for Alabama? Maybe the touchdown, but do you actually think it would have been enough to keep them out of kicking range? I mean, unlikely. I mean, yeah. It's like they had a fresh quarterback that's won a national championship, mm-hmm. and he's put in the third quarter. It's, <laughs> it's, it's pretty tough to argue against that specifically, let alone how well he was playing. So it's just... We can play what ifs all day, but this isn't a podcast about what yes. And I think we kind of beat that idea to hell and yeah. back at this point. How would you equate the non-identity problem to this game? Basically, the idea is that any decision you make could be wrong, even if it is not wrong for everyone, which is to say that there are an infinite number of future people, you know, between the number of people that are going to be born and the number of different permutations of lives you can lead based on the decisions that you make. So decision can seem like the correct one in the moment and be correct for some portion of the population, but not ultimately be wrong because it is not correct for the rest of the population. I think what he's kind of getting out here is how like there are a lot of decisions where it's impossible to prove whether or not it was counterfactually correct or incorrect, but it seems that for some proportion of the outcome probabilities of this game, they were incorrect. Uh, how's our recruiting class looking compared to last year's incredible hall? And I have some, I have all the numbers pulled up right here too, but it's looking very good to give it, give you the short answer to give you the the bigger answer. I'll give you a point of reference here. Uh, last year we were of course first in the nation, our recruiting class right now. We're currently third. The difference in point values between this year and last year, last year's was 0.9423. Now we are 0.9335 currently. We do have the most hard commits out of the top five with 18 at this point. We have three five-stars, 12 four-stars. And a further, uh, just a quick point of reference here, our top three all-time commits. Last year was our our number one highest value commit of all time in Justin Fields. He was rated at 0.9998. And this coming class, uh, we will see Nolan Smith come in on the defensive side of the ball. And he is rated at 0.9994. Yeah, I mean... You got anything more on that? I don't know if we're going to meet our raw point value that we did last year, but uh, 
you know, I think we'll, I think, yes, we should be just as excited. It's going to be in the same realm. Yeah, we're going to be, we're going to be a-okay. And the very last question comes from, uh, it comes in the form of, can GoMed fix my heart? No, no, only time, only time and love from another human can do that, James. I will say, uh, so I, I reached out to Barrett actually and said, hey, this was a question we had come in. Do you have an answer for it? And uh, this is the professional, I will, maybe not the professional opinion of GoMed, but this is uh, somebody that works at GoMed and founded GoMed, uh, his official, non-official opinion that you should not, what, what do they always say about things like this? Like, you know, this is only opinion and should not be taken as medical advice, something along those lines. But he said, while we can't mend the grief or assuage the anguish born from watching our silver britches warriors fall on the battlefield in a contest that both filled our hearts and spilled our guts we can certainly help with the indigestion and nasal congestion that we will all be dealing with from overeating and crying all weekend. With love, go back. Ah, adorable. That's awesome. Hey, hey, can I say something now that I think that's kind of the end before we transition out? We had another comment that was not an Ask CBC that I thought was very sweet, uh, where basically uh, Alan Ivoroni, Ivoroni, who asked us another good question, he asked... He was like, hey, when are we going to get a thing? And I said, well, unless I wander off into the woods and have never seen again and start living in the woods, you'll get it tomorrow, which I was wrong, but whatever. Um, but he he said, I hear you. Uh, according to Psychology Today, recording a podcast might be the best thing you can do. And he sent me a message, or he sent us a picture of a Psychology Today article that says, working through one of the best ways to work through an existential crisis is to move past it by listening to yourself talk. So <laughs> here we go. Yay. Thanks, Alan. So to give that that was the last of our questions, but also um, we're reaching. This is this is kind of our season finale in a way. Like the the bowl game, we'll be back for the same format for the bowl game, but this is still kind of our season finale. And so before we actually like say goodbye, we won't really be saying goodbye. We've been talking about it for a few weeks now in all of our episodes that we will be coming back with uh, narrative pieces and we'll be doing fan stories throughout the off season. As recruiting stuff comes in, we'll do stuff like probably around signing day and we'll do stuff right before like the the G-Day game and kind of talk about recruiting and, and all that kind of stuff and summer practice. But for the most part, it, it will not look the same as it has all season. I will tell you that right now. But if you enjoy what we do, then keep listening. And those of you that are subscribed, you will continue to get the episodes every other week or as long as we have content to talk about just to let you know, you know, to fully expect. And I will fully expect both Nathan and myself to leave for a few weeks, go into the woods and enjoy our holidays. Yeah, yeah. Because we are swiftly approaching Christmas and we are tired. And tired you're going to get a Sugar Bowl preview though. I mean, for sure. Oh, And, yeah. you know, I'm... We will, I will probably record... We're Not probably. I'm. We're going to record some ups, uh, updates from New Orleans. So... We'll, we'll be doing stuff like that. So you'll still get Chapel Bell Curve. It won't be twice a week like you have been. And I'm sorry we spoiled you like that. We tired. Yeah. The reason why this is a day late is because we were yeah, tired. we really were. <laughs> we're so tired. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a lot of work putting into this podcast. And uh, we both really, really enjoy it. We appreciate everything that you guys have done, too, uh, in listening to this and talking about it and sharing. Because the, the only way we, we share this podcast is through word of mouth and through people and the fact that this is at all popular in any way is testament to you know your work as listeners. So we, we really Amen. appreciate it. And uh, before I we actually go out of the way, you know, I really leave. I wanted to say a, a big thanks to a few people right before we we leave. We have um, 
a number of uh, patrons on our Patreon account. So I just wanted to say and put it, you know, in the, the digital footprint forever and always that they can always go back and listen to, to one of us say their names. But uh, our patrons this season, Austin Smallwood, Abby Vincent Key, uh, Kyle Nab, Chad bank, Thornhill, bank, Evan bank. Silverstein. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's Bank. Yep. Uh, Ian Trapp, Jake Lyons, James Bearfield, Jay Banks, Jeff Malmquist, John Simmons, my father-in-law, uh, Justin Smith, Kyle McInnes, Ryan Bailey, Ryan Nelson, my best man, uh, Sam Rents, Tom Harlow, and of course, uh, last but not least, it's uh, West Coast Mark. Special thanks to Gomed, Bill Connolly for unknowingly letting us use his stats, the University of Georgia Redcoat Band, of course, for our theme song, uh, all the football players uh, that put their bodies on the line every single week, and of course, Hot Rod, the... Uh, yeah, yeah so. a man. So if you if you want to have a beer, he's a man I'll love you. forever. And like we said, for the off season, we need your fan stories. We have a number of people that we'll be contacting over the next few weeks just to talk about uh, scheduling something with you all. And so if you've already reached out to us and said you want to do a fan story, we're definitely reaching out over the next few weeks to find a time to do that. And if you have a fan story yourself and you would like to come onto the show, I would love and Nathan would love to have you on and talk to you. We can call you where you are if you're not local, or if you're local, we'll bring you into the studio and we'll talk to you about your fan stories so your special time with georgia whatever it is this has been chapel bell curve you can find us on itunes google play and pretty much anywhere else you can subscribe to a podcast including spotify you can get in touch with us on facebook by searching chapel bell curve by email at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com and on twitter and instagram at chapel bell curve uh, you can also check us out at chapelbellcurve.com where we just kind of aggregate everything we do you can also find us on patreon.com slash chapelbellcurve if you want to throw a couple bucks our way for the work which you know who knows uh, if you should or not, hmm. <laughs> that's up to you. That's wherever you are on your <laughs> walk with financial Jesus, you just decide. And, you know, you can always, if you would love to, or like to even, um, leave us a rating and review. It really helps spread our exposure. And this has been a great, great week or great year, a great week too, but a great, it's been an incredible, incredible year, year for us. Also, I want to say, uh, something we forgot to say, thank you, thank you, thank you to dog sports for hosting yes. for hosting our podcast and just throwing us up on their site. And we can't tell you how much we appreciate it and how helpful it's been for the growth of our, our brand. I hate that word, but it's true. So yes, listen, we'll, we'll, we will catch you in New Orleans uh, at New the beginning Orleans. of the new year, but until then we'll see you in the classic city and go, go dogs. dogs.